Welcome to Diverse, the podcast for the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Are you taking full advantage of your SWE membership? Your membership grants you access to SWE Advanced Learning for career and life. Your membership unlocks free and discounted on-demand content 24 hours a day from around the world. The SWE Advanced Learning also has live learning. With multiple tracks, Advance offers something for every career and every stage of your career. SWE's many offerings feature subject matter experts from a wide variety of thought leaders in STEM and leadership. When you want to skill up, turn to Advance first. Access learning at advancelearning.swe.org. Hello, I'm Joanne Hill, the Secretary of the African American Affinity Group for the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's podcast, Diverse. This episode is a part of the ongoing series SWE's African American Affinity Group is hosting on Diverse for Black History Month. You can find more about this and other content for Black History Month on SWE's blog altogether. I'm joined today by Nina Ahuja, the social media lead for the African-American Affinity Group for SWE. Nina is very passionate about project management world. She focuses on her own business where she consults with small and medium organizations on their process implementations and improvement initiatives, utilizing a strategic project management approach. She has also been actively involved with her local PMI chapter for years. She is most passionate about the Women in Project Management Forum and volunteering with ongoing chapter efforts. Thank you for joining us today, Nina. Thank you for having me. So let's talk here. Tell me about yourself, you know, your beginnings on school, family, where you're from, all that nice stuff. (laughs) Of course. So I am originally from Chicago. That's where I pretty much started. Went through public school, ended up graduating and Went to school in Chicago as well, um, University of Illinois, Chicago, where I did my bachelor's in civil engineering, go Flames. And I think it's really interesting because like how I ended up arriving at what to do with engineering, like my dad's an engineer, he's a computer engineer and growing up watching him take computers apart and put them together, I knew I didn't want to do that. My mom's a nurse and ended up going into teaching and I knew I just don't like bodily fluids. So I knew that wasn't really the route. And I wasn't seeing the career path that I wanted in any of my other family members. So it kind of just led me when I was about 10 to taking a test online to find out what you should be when you grow up, which sounds really weird. But I ended up taking that and it arrived at actuarial scientist or civil engineer. I went to actuary camp and hated it. So civil engineering, it was it. (laughs) But after about three years into the program, I pretty much realized, okay, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so um, growing up, I was not really afforded that opportunity to take a year or two off to find myself. So it's just continue doing what you're doing until you figure it out along the way and then transition out. So you mean from your program of civil engineering studying in that undergrad? Exactly. Okay. Okay. 
So luckily for me, I was able to, for my senior design project, I got into research and found out about this wonderful field of material science and engineering. And I did some research with some professors on campus. And that led to me working towards my master's in uh, material science and engineering. Again, I enjoyed it, but didn't see myself doing that well for long either. And so went down a couple of bunny holes and ended up with industrial and systems engineering at University of Michigan. And that's where the industrial engineering kind of just clicked. And I was like, okay, this whole idea of merging business with it, problem solving, perfect. And in that process, that's where I found or discovered project management and haven't looked back yet. Okay. Did you worry people as time went on? You know, you, you at first, maybe, you know, young um, teenager, not really sure what path you wanted to go. And then you said civil engineering, and then, you know, you're changing and, you know, I think you said next material science, you know, that like worry people around you, or they knew that you were going to be on a mission regardless you were <laughs> that type of kid. <laughs> Great question. I don't think so. I think people around me knew I, once I figured it out that I would be fine. And that if anything, I would find some kind of role. Like I've been working since I was 16. So, I mean, like I've had years of customer service experience. So if I wasn't doing a professional role, I could have figured some kind of blue collar role out. So I don't Mm -hmm. think there was any worry like, oh my goodness, Nina's going to end up homeless on the street because she couldn't figure Mm -hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. No. So I knew, I think, and I mean, I'm not putting words in family members' mouths, but I think they weren't really worried. They knew that I would figure out something. So. Okay. Okay. So what was your motivation? Cause sometimes, you know, people not figuring it out discourages them. So how did you keep yourself encouraged by continuing to move forward? I think I was just knowing the kind of lifestyle I wanted to lead. I wanted, I knew that I wanted to work at a role or a company where I was going to be respected in my community, where I would be able to dress up or dress nice for work. I always Mm -hmm. remembered growing up in Chicago, I'd ride on like the L trains or buses or whatnot. And I see women who were dressed nicely for work, you know, um, business casual or business professional, you know, they would always have sneakers on too. And you know, have their heels like in another bag to change into when they actually got Mm -hmm. to the building. And I just remembered being like in elementary school and high school and just admiring that. And it's something small as that, that was just like, okay, if this is a job where I can dress nice for work, then this is the job I want. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That work ethic that even though it was just kind of passing, it seems like you had it internally as well as you saw it every day. And that's what you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. As long as I got to dress nice and I got to (laughs) solve problems, I can feel like, okay, I'm appreciated that I'm contributing to something bigger than myself. Yeah. I know it sounds small, but it's sometimes it's the small things. But it's the big things. It's sometimes, you know, as a, as a younger person, now the things that you fix fixate on, And then you look back and it was just really important thing that you, you know, you know, remember. So it must have meant something really important to you. So that's good. So you told me about the transition, um, about the why. So 
let's talk about the the how. Like, so your civil engineering bachelor's, right? And then your master's was in material science. Uh, so I started that master's and then actually just after I knew it wasn't the quite the right role. Okay. And so I was able to like, just get out and do everything but the thesis. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then just after that, I was just like, all right, what's next? Um, okay. And I ended up just kind of saying, all right, well, let me do a degree in psych just for okay. fun. I had mm-hmm. been taking classes and whatnot in it. Found it very helpful and interesting. One of my favorite uncles also has his advanced degree in psychology. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think he was working on his PhD while I was working on my master's in psych. So I just was like, oh, you know, just be kind of interesting. So he and I get to kind of talk about that particular career field since we're the both, we're just the two in our family that went into that. Mm -hmm. So it was good to kind of just take a moment away from the tech and whatnot and to work on the soft science of it all. And I think if anything, it kind of helped with my ultimate transition into industrial engineering Mm -hmm. because it gave me the opportunity to take a break. It gave me the vocabulary to process a lot of emotional intelligence kind of related topics that we don't learn in engineering. And I think would be nice if we did, but yeah. Okay. And so I was going to ask, you know, your preparation to what you're doing now, it seems like you've had those building blocks all along from a foundational academic perspective. So explain to me a little bit more about the physical transition. So the physical transition from yes. civil engineering to industrial slash project management. Yes. Oh, my. So I would say... Definitely that psych background helped a lot and then ending up in the program itself. So I was in Michigan physically and Mm -hmm. was like, all right, I want a, like, I know I don't want to be a psychologist for the rest of my life. I, and I missed the engineering part. I missed the tech. I missed the problem solving as much. It was a little frustrating to me because as the therapist, you can only go as far as your client is ready to go. Mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. far as ready to make changes, oh, their depression is only going to go, you know, they're only going to get better when they're ready, mm-hmm. which is good. But then it's frustrating too, because you're like, okay, um, time clock, this could have been done by now. So okay, <laughs> I, okay. I just process wise, I was, wanted something faster. And I knew that in engineering, I could get projects done faster. And mm-hmm. that was what kind of led me back into that tech realm. So then it was like, well, I don't think I can be competitive with the certifications I have now and the career I have now. So back to school I go. And so I was just kind of researching different opportunities. And in Michigan, there's this huge, I want to say rivalry between Michigan State and University of Michigan. So it's like, okay, which one do I want to go to? Which one, you know, and I mean, not growing up in Michigan, I didn't feel an affinity towards or an attraction towards either one. It was just like, okay, they both exist. That's great. (laughs) I know it's hilarious, honestly, but I mean, it's one of those things you have to, once you're in the state, you get it. Mm -hmm. And you like, you understand the rivalry. Everyone is either go green or go blue. That is it. Like it's kind of like coffee or tea. It's just, it's part of conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I lived um, in a few states myself, and it's the same way. It's like, you know, I really didn't care. <laughs> it's just exactly. green or blue, <laughs> but I understand. Go ahead. Yeah, like when you're coming in from the outside, you're like, um, I really don't have a way to go on this. It's, I don't, you know, it's not like I went to any school. And majority of the people that have this affinity with either school have never gone to the schools. So coming in from Illinois, I'm like, what is going on here? But <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was just me going through the process, looking at both schools, seeing which one had the like the actual was doing research that I was interested in, which one was going to be closer to me, just weighing all these different options. Even the idea of like who like scholarship money, application dates. And so it ended up being University of Michigan for that reason. And University of Michigan for what specifically? for your... my master's in industrial and systems engineering. Okay. Okay. So you got through that program. Yes. What happened either during or, or maybe right after that kind of set your way into what you eventually did from a consulting perspective? Great for that one. So while I was in it, I'll totally admit mm-hmm. the master's program itself, like any master's is pretty broad, but I feel like industrial and systems engineering is about as broad as you can get. And I mean, it just comes down to like so many different classes you can take, different concentrations. It was amazing. It was like a jack of all trades, really. Mm -hmm. And one of the things while I was in it, I was like, well, let me work on a, let me try to get an internship and see how that goes, you know? And a lot of times when I did internships in the past, they taught me what I didn't want to do. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it was more so things that I liked doing, but I like opportunities if like, if you go to an internship and you like what you're doing off that, great. A lot of times the lessons you get in internships can easily be what you don't want to do. And that's great. And that's all too. right. Yeah. That's all right. Yes. It's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And so I did apply for some internships. And at this time I was working on this particular degree remotely. So I was physically in California going to school in Michigan but I know I love technology for that reason. Like it was great. And so I was like, all right, well, let's apply for some internships and see what happens. Ironically, the internship I actually secured for that summer was back in Michigan with Consumers Energy, which is the utility, mm-hmm. one of the utility companies for the state of Michigan. And so while I was, so here I am shipping my car and packing my bags to go back to the state that I ironically had just left because my partner had a career opportunity in California. So I was just like, Mm -hmm. all right, well, I'll leave you for the summer. I'll be right back. You know, no big deal. (laughs) My team at Consumers was absolutely amazing. My boss, Sherry was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, let's try you with a little bit of everything and see what clicks. Great. So I loved her coaching mentality with respect to that. And First thing we tried was project management. I was like, I had never heard of this, but everything instantly clicked. Like what I wanted to do as far as, you know, being able to oversee teams, things I had done in the past and just never really got to put a name or a label on it. Like I'm the oldest out of four girls. I feel like project management's in my blood. Like I've overseen projects Mm -hmm. in my house to make sure these four, you know, three girls under me were able to do what they needed to get done, you know, because Mm -hmm. I had, you know, project sponsors and stakeholders like our parents and 
whomever looking at me to make sure it was getting done. And so mind you, I wasn't physically doing the work half the time. Right, it was them, but right, of course. you have to oversee it and you have to, you know, <laughs> but the thing is, is you milestones, are, where parents overseeing come home milestones. Work. <laughs> you're like making sure you have the right people for the task because mm-hmm. there's like, I think between me and the youngest, there's 18 years. So okay. what the one sister can do, maybe the baby can't do, you know? And so you're mm-hmm. trying to make sure everyone's feeling like appreciated and respected in their roles. It was project management, all like, it was just all those I, things. It was a click. I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and those quality checks when the parents come home. Yes. Know? Well, before the, you have, I had to do quality checks before they came home. And then when they came home, we did the walkthrough and everything. And yes. Area. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great, great, great. Isn't that just funny? So true. It's funny, but it worked. And it's like weird because you're leading without actual power because Mm -hmm. you're not mommy, you're not daddy, you know, and they will quickly remind you of that. But that's where the leadership through influence happens, right? Yes. (laughs) Not positional. It's not positional power either. No, not at all. Definitely not at all. You know, like, it's implied like, yes, you're in charge, but you're not in charge. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, so much fun. And then as they got older. Right. That's just like what work is, right? Yeah. What we do at work every day. Exactly. So then it just kind of, it really clicked when Mm -hmm. I was able to finally have a label for this, you know, field that I had been doing Mm -hmm. for years. So it was just Mm -hmm. like, great. So now that I had this label and everything, I was just like, Okay, I'm back in California and I'm working towards how do I prepare? So and prepare yeah. for what? Let's talk about preparing for what? Great question. Prepare for my <laughs> career in project management because this was what I was Got about it. to do. And no okay. one was going to stop me or deter me from this. This was it, the end. Let's go. Mm-hmm. So getting involved with my PMI chapter for sure. And the PMI chapter of Silicon Valley, absolutely love and adore them. The women's forum up there is great. I've had some amazing mentors there that even though I'm no longer in Silicon Valley, I still talk to on a regular basis. Absolutely amazing group. And mm-hmm. with the power of technology, I still am involved still, mm-hmm. which is great. Mm-hmm. So doing that, getting involved with other companies and organizations with volunteer opportunities to start actually practicing what I was learning in PMI and learning how to run projects, how to stay organized, things like that. So then when it came to take my um, certification for my PMP exam, I was able to pass it, no problem, on the first try. And that was Congratulations. it. <laughs> Thank you. I know that that test is probably one of the hardest ones I've ever had to take in my life, um, just because it's so long and is extremely very interesting because I took it right around the time they were starting to add in a lot of agile terminology and methodology. Okay. Okay. So, and I don't think that it wasn't quite a lot of study material that was out. That was like, Oh yes, we have a proven success rate. There was no success rate. This was just like, okay, well, we've got this out and we're not sure what's going on, but we're going to try to get you prepared. And Luckily it got, they did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. 
Right. Yeah. But I mean, it was good. It definitely helped boost my confidence as far as going out to have my own consultancy to say, okay, well, I have these letters behind my name. I have these projects I've done before. You know, this is why you should, you know, consider doing business with me. And here we are three years later. Three years later. Okay. So it helped on the courage front a little bit. Yes. It was definitely on the courage front because I had did, I got the PMP while I was in practice, like beforehand. I mean, I was in practice before and it was just word of mouth. And so I had clients who would just come and seek me out and seek out my services. And I didn't have the certifications, but they had heard of me and my abilities through, you know, networking opportunities, through PMI, through different events and whatnot. And so, I mean, that was great, but I wanted something a little bit extra. I wanted to feel more confident and capable. And I kind of put it in my mind. I don't know how I got in there that I was going to be competent and capable and qualified for something that I was already doing when I got this certification. I know that sounds really crazy as I'm saying it out loud, but that was just the thinking I had in my head. I needed those letters behind my name to feel like it was valid, that there was weight to it. And it was realness to it. Right. And I mean, like it could have been imposter syndrome or whatnot, but Mm -hmm. for me, it was just like, I want, I don't want it to just be luck, you know, to say, oh, you know, she just so happens to have the right templates and, you know, just knows what to say at the right times. I wanted it to be like this third party seal of approval says, no, she really does know her stuff. She's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and also I'm thinking it reduces the chances that you can tell me no. That too. Yeah. That's what it sounds like because of that, you know, that third party validation. And then when your work is stacked up against someone else's, right. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the book knowledge, you have the experience, you have the, the network now, what, you know, so hopefully that added to your courage that to continue, continue moving forward. It did. Cause I mean, after that, I was able to kind of just say, all right, well, we're in this, you know, so actually start or like really invest time and energy into marketing and really invest time and energy into like promoting and doing all these things to really build and grow the business. And mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So, and not just maybe recently, but I guess, you know, maybe the last four or five years, right. Mm -hmm. You know, what have been like setbacks in, you know, launching something new, going out and doing something that's, you know, kind of like on your own in a sense that Mm -hmm. compared to, let's say, working for someone else or working for a business or a corporation and you're part of a group doing a project or something. So what type of setbacks, you know, did you experience and then how did you how did you grow from them? I think with just starting the business, the when I did. I started it and then like I had a good year and then there was COVID. And I think at that time for me and my experience, I had a lot of clients who wanted projects done, but were not ready and willing to put money towards those projects just because Mm -hmm. of the economic uncertainties. Okay. So I think that was a real setback because if my clients are no longer willing to put money forth, then 
I'm no longer having a source of income, which was like, mm-hmm. uh oh, what's going on here? How do we do this? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that was just definitely not what I wanted to happen, but it happened and I was able to grow from it because mm-hmm. COVID still is around us, mm-hmm. but we're learning to live with it. My clients are learning to live with it and are trusting me for implementing and executing projects in the midst of COVID and helping them pivot and fought, like continue to grow in, the, in spite of it, which is great. Okay. So you had to kind of manage through that like small storm of managing their uncertainty and your own uncertainty. Right. Is that true? Exactly. So if anything, it kind of, I prefer dealing with smaller businesses, but it kind of pushed me out of my own like shell to say, okay, well, we're going to have to go a little bit bigger just to make sure, you know, bills are getting paid. So Mm -hmm. it allowed us to kind of just take on a bigger company and just say, all right, well, we're willing to contract with you for a while. Let's see how this goes. And, you know, we did what we had to do and it was great. So it allowed us to kind of stay focused in this idea of working with small and medium-sized businesses to just make sure these things were getting, like we were still doing project management and we're still doing what we set out to do. But then at the same time, it was just like, all right, we're not falling. You know, we didn't have to go back to retail. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was good because we didn't have to just like throw in the cards completely and totally like so many other businesses did. Okay. So in a sense, you kind of had to wait it out a little bit. Yeah, definitely wait it out. Be open to opportunities and projects that we would not have normally took on. Okay. I think that's, I think that's for sure. Cause I mean, like the projects that I love and I love taking on are like these small mom pa kind of businesses, you know, that are saying, Hey, we're brick and mortar and we're going, we want to go into e-commerce because we hear that's the thing or, you know, this is what we're doing in e-commerce and it's not quite working for us to help us figure out a solution. Like those are the projects I love doing the most just because I feel the impact the fastest because you can see it, you know, and with the bigger projects, it's like, okay, you know, you can see the, you can see the end result, but then at the end of the day, it's like, do you feel that appreciation? Do you feel like, you know, like you've helped your community at the end of Mm -hmm. the day? And with Mm -hmm. some of them, like the bigger ones, I don't feel like, okay, my community is being helped necessarily, but with my smaller ones, I'm like, I can see the business owners face-to-face. I know what this business means to them. And as a result of what it means to them, what like it means, you know, oh, they get to pay for, you know, their son or their daughter to go to football or they can sponsor that football team, you know, or like, you know, the daycares that they are owning and how many families that those are supported by who all are in the community you live in as well. Mm -hmm. So it's just that kind of like that impact you can see that makes the most difference to me. Okay. Cause I was going to ask you a little bit later about, but we're talking about it now, you know, how do you keep yourself relevant? And, you know, you've had to keep yourself relevant, you know, now really in terms of a business value or a business proposition. So I guess maybe to summarize, how do you keep yourself relevant to the current business needs? I think just definitely staying abreast of what's going on in small business, like the community itself, 
I've definitely made a name for myself more so in e-commerce as of late. So definitely trying to stay updated on what's going on, what is going on with Shopify and Big Cartel and all these, you know, head honchos that are in the market, being aware of things like shipping and what's going on with changes and what are ways that my small business owners can save money and still make sure their clients get the visibility into the supply chain that they're looking for. All of that kind of stuff, I think definitely helps. Ongoing education with PMI is also important as well, just to make sure I'm getting my continuing education units. So I feel like those are pretty much it as far as that. I also just try to make sure I'm networking as well. So being involved with my suite chapters and PMI so that I'm continuing to get to know other people who are in like either comparable industries or situations and just kind of exchanging best practices. Because one of the things I learned in a past career was in order to keep it, I have to give it away. And that means this whole idea of in order for me to feel like good member of my community, I have to be a good member of my community. Mm -hmm. So making sure I am nurturing this next generation of business owners and, or even just working with those who are business owners and have been for longer, but may not be as mature or maybe trying to grow in different aspects and just saying, Hey, we're, it's not competition, you know, like Mm -hmm. you have your clientele, I have mine. And Let's see, how can we make each other's lives easier? You know, could that be a partnership? Could that be, you know, exchanging best practices, things like that? Okay. So, you know, through all of this, you know, what is your support system? Oh, goodness. I have family, definitely other business owners as well. I have amazing community of business owners that I just pop in on every now and again, and I've talked to for hours on end and absolutely Mm -hmm. appreciate them here in Northern County of San Diego. So do you have like, you know, like that board of directors type where you have your advisors, you have your mentors, you have your, you know, sponsors. And I know that means different things to different people, but did you have people that kind of, you know, showed you the way or a way or exposed you to different things, maybe that you weren't aware of and kind of took you in. I mean, can you explain a little bit more about, you know, the support structure that's around you? I definitely have a team of mentors. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think I can just have one just because like, I have like so many different things that are going on that Mm -hmm. it helps to have a team of mentors. Like I have one when it comes to just marketing, then I have one for when it comes to agile methodology and adoption one and several for project management, like more of a waterfall kind of approaches. So I personally kind of feel like it's a team of directors that I created. And these directors are all mentors in different aspects and respects of my life and my career, my company's development. And that's where that feedback comes in or that feedback loop is created and generated. Okay. Okay. So then what about like in terms of running the business, you know, that administrative piece to it? Because I think right now you're talking strategically and and the different accounts that you have. But what about just, you know, starting up (laughs) and, you know, definitely a mentor with that one as well. Mm -hmm. When I say it's a board, I do really mean it's a board of them. Like, I mean, for every Mm -hmm. aspect, so strategic, but then also the administrative part as well. 
And then I have other business owners and operators as well. And I mean, they are also in my network and we're constantly talking about, hey, did you know about this resource or this tool, you know, and like, oh, tell me how you're using it in your business. And we'll talk about it and see if it's something that I'll adopt on or, you know, we'll talk about different resources and tools that are out there just to kind of make sure we're all abreast of what's going on there out there. Because running a business is hard. That can be a full-time job in and of itself. Mm-hmm, the administrative exactly. <laughs> the administrative component alone, but just even web development and all those kind of things, but just making sure you have the right people in your corners or at your mm-hmm. table, like this exactly. huge table that I have, this fictional table, but it exists. And these people just, whenever I'm, I'm blessed that whenever I just tap them on the shoulder, like, Hey, I have a question about this, or this is what I'm doing. Can, and it's, I'm realizing it's a time suck right now. What can I mm-hmm. do to streamline this process? You know, okay. if, and luckily for them, they're really, luckily the people at my table are really humble in the sense that if they don't know the answer, they are able to say they don't know and point me in the direction of someone who may know. And that's what I love, you know, like that, like you have to be humble in this. You have to know and acknowledge, Hey, I don't know everything about this. And, you know, but put yourself in a good network where you put the people around you that do know. Okay. So throughout this conversation, one of the themes I've been hearing is, is that you do a lot of networking and yes. you may not be, you may not think you're doing networking. Maybe some people don't, but you're networking all over the place here. Yes. So, uh, and, and some people don't like to network. I think they do <laughs> because they can network in their own circles, but to put themselves out there can be challenging for some. So I guess my question is, what is the value of networking to you? How did it get you to where you are today? And then the advice to maybe some people who are shy on that front in terms of exposing themselves and, and moving forward and communicating. I will agree with you. Yes, networking is probably one of those common veins throughout my entire career um, that has just kind of opened so many doors, you know, especially within STEM and engineering. It's like you, if you meet someone nine times out of 10, you know, someone that they know too. It's like, especially as women engineers, we're separated at least by two, three degrees of separation. There's no way. <laughs> um, uh, Nina, side note, I, I have a good friends with you too, but we'll talk about that later. It's very <laughs> small world, one engineer away in this community, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I believe it. I know we're not separated that far. I mean, we don't need six degrees. We definitely can do it in two or three. Right, um, right. But what I love about it is just I'm an introvert by nature. I found when I first realized I needed to network, I found it anxiety producing. Mm -hmm. Uh, This whole idea of like, oh, I have to talk to them and I have to ask them, you know, they said the other. No, not necessarily. The one of the things I learned about networking is that you don't necessarily want to do it because of what it's going to do for you, but maybe you could be a resource for someone else. And so that's why getting to know them, getting to know their pain points, you never know who you could put them in touch with. And if you put that person in touch with them, then you're helping someone else. It's all about building your community and just being able to kind of just say, okay, how can I be a service? So I think if anything, changing your mindset about networking and realizing that this is something where you 
have to like put yourself out there because you're trying to get a job or you're trying to figure out what you're like, you're trying to, you're using it as a means to an end. That's a problem. So change it to more of like, Hey, let me get to know other people and put myself out there, help them. And then I won't feel as awkward if I need them, but then also too, I won't seem as being like this manipulative person, if that makes sense. Yeah, it becomes more, and another word I don't like is authentic. I mean, I do like the word authentic, but sometimes we use it in society very, very loosely, but you are bringing your authentic personality and yourself and your value system if you look at it in a positive way, as opposed to something you have to do it as a chore. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I definitely think networking needs to be more authentic. And I mean, that's just more like, okay, let me get to know these people genuinely and honestly, and, genuinely. you know, just make sure I'm like, you know, calling them up or, you know, randomly, Hey, how's it going? You know, Hey, what about that job you interviewed for? What's going on with that? Things like that. And that may take a little time. I mean, when I look back personally, it took me a little time to get comfortable in my skin as a professional, as an engineer right out of school. Oh, definitely. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, doesn't happen. Well, sometimes maybe it does happen overnight. And it's it's natural to people, but you do have to put the skills and uh, the effort in to obtain that skill and and not think of it as a chore. Agreed. I think it's definitely one of those things you have to practice. And that's Mm -hmm. okay, especially when you're in college or even high school, you can practice it and just see, okay, is this something that, you know, how did this work with this particular individual? Did this work? Yes, no, I don't know. Okay, then guess what? You know, you can continue to work on that relationship with that individual, or you can, you know, take your learnings from this one relationship and take it to the next and work on that particular next like connection and see how that goes. Okay. Okay. Now the big question, (laughs) as we wrap this up, the usual question of, you know, what would you have done differently throughout this whole, I mean, I'm talking from taking that test as as a 10 year old (laughs) to, you know, studying software engineering and then exploring the, you know, and then your path, of course, to, uh, you know, practicing program management now, what on your path maybe you have wanted to tweak? Maybe not necessarily change. change. Joanne, I wouldn't change a thing. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. I would not. And here's why, because I feel like every decision, everything I did, I learned from. And I feel like if I learned from it, then there was a reason I did it. And if I was going to do something differently, it would have just been something that was, but luckily each thing I did, nothing was super detrimental and was like, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, my life is ruined. No, like, I think everything I've done, Mm -hmm. I was able to learn from, and it may have not been the best choice, Mm -hmm. but we make decisions off of the information that we're given and that's it. But I mean, like, I don't want to affect or change anything to make it just better, like to make the end product better than what I have now. I mean, mm-hmm. like right now I'm happy with what, where I'm at and what I'm doing, but I wouldn't change anything like, cause it wouldn't make any sense. Like if I found yeah. out about project management back when I was in civil engineering, okay. That would have been, I mean, like there are people who do project management with a civil engineering background, but mm-hmm. 
you know, then I wouldn't have been able to, you know, go to Michigan and like all of the experiences I had there, I would have missed right. out on all of that. Yeah. And then the, the side learnings, you know, with the psychology and the, the material science and, you know, the industrial, you know, program that you're in, just seems exactly. like those are all really great building blocks to what we need to be as a good program manager, right? Yes. I mm-hmm. mean, literally it made me a Jill of all trades. So, mm-hmm. I mean, random like random conversations that happen that I'm able to contribute to or understand that help me be so much more effective in my role now. So being able to communicate with people much better just because of that psych background, I'm able to mirror people's responses and process speeches, like process communication so much better than I did back in my bachelor's degree. It's just like, I think if I went from my bachelor's in civil engineering right into project management, I don't think I would have been as effective as a project manager. There's no way. Okay. Okay. You know, uh, so no, I definitely okay with just being where I'm at and all the decisions and the path as long and windy as it was, I'm okay with it. Okay. My next question would be, you know, tell me about your first client. Tell me, you know, the situation, what you're working on. And I'm talking about your first paying client. (laughs) What was that all about for you? Sure. So with my consulting company, Houston Consulting Solutions, we definitely had a string when we were first starting out of clients who were paying like well below market value for project management, project management consulting. And I mean, I definitely appreciated it and it was good a good way for me to one, test to see if one, there was demand and two, to kind of get my feet wet and to see if it was something that I was interested in doing and something that I wanted to get into doing. But the first actual paying client that actually came market value came through networking, which again, is that common theme through a lot of different things going on. They were a referral from another project management consultor, consultant who just did not have the capacity and was like, Nina, you've been doing this, so here you go. And it worked out really well. I found myself getting really passionate about the actual client because they were a small business. And that's what kind of got me into my current niche now that wanted to branch out of their current like brick and mortar kind of, or their, Mm -hmm. not their current brick and mortar, but their brick and mortar situation that they were in and get them into like, oh, they wanted to do e-commerce and try to integrate everything because it was a very small operation, but it was a huge demand, you know, like, and it was just great. And this was right like pre-COVID. So a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff going on, you know, where it was a huge push for going online and being innovative with it. And with any small business, they're like, how can I link all these things together? So they're talking to each other and there's less Uh work uh for Uh human work needed that everything that can be automated gets automated. (laughs) And so it was great to just kind of get into that and to feel that sense of fulfillment, like really right off the bat and kind of know what my why was, you know, like I think with every project I find myself, okay, saying, Mm -hmm. so what, all right, you saved this company X amount of dollars. So what? So you streamline their process. So what? And I feel like 
afterwards I was able to say, mm-hmm. so I could answer that so easily. And it wasn't something that I hesitated in answering, mm-hmm. you know, the answers that came mm-hmm. from my, so what answers were so clear. And so like, what do you mean? So what, like I saved them this money and this money was able to go to all this other stuff instead, you know, like they have X amount of kids and, you know, little Susie needs braces and Tommy wants to go play football. And, you know, that money probably went to that or who knows what else, you know, like it was, it was, it felt so good to be able to put faces to situations and to know exactly what those, so what answers were. So it seems like you were revalidating your own value proposition to yourself. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. And so how did that pivot into additional? Like, I want to know, like the beginning days here. (laughs) How did you pivot knowing the so what? And how did you pivot that into, you know, getting more work? Yeah, definitely. I think having that so what definitely made me feel more passionate about the work. It helped Mm -hmm. me feel more natural about the follow-ups, make me feel better about just popping in randomly, you know, and saying hi and seeing how things are going. You know, like I think in any industrial engineering class or when you start doing more qualitative kind of coursework, they always say, oh, you have to go to Gamba. Okay. That just basically means going to the scene of where everything's going on and getting a feel for it and just being there. And yes, going on site is absolutely amazing, which is why a lot of my business owners are here in San Diego County. And every now and again, I get one out in the OC. And, but that's okay. Road trips are always fun. What's OC so, for, for me uh, and Orange? Oh, Orange County. Oh, yes. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So yeah, just being able to hop on the expressway and mm-hmm. head up north a couple of hours and see, okay, what is this like? What is the setting like? So yeah, definitely fun. So do you have uh, plans for, you talk about is more kind of a local small business how do you plan to grow? And I mean, grow maybe regionally as well as maybe the size of the business. Right now we've had clients all over the U S. So, I mean, I have a really strong network back in the Midwest. And so I've had projects in the Midwest as well, where Mm -hmm. I've hopped on a plane, gone to to do my site visits and Mm -hmm. talk to who I needed to do, and then go back to the back home to San Diego area and actually did the work did itself, the work. Mm-hmm. do the work. Like, I mean, like, yes, of course, hopping on a plane and going to the site is work, mm-hmm. but I mean, like the actual work, right, right. work. So, yeah, I mean, as far as plans to expand, definitely in the future, looking to bring on more consultants as well in the future, not quite yet, but definitely always looking for more projects. That's, I think, probably going to be the way to fund the bringing on of additional talents as well. But every now and again, I have brought on contractors just on contractual basis to knock out projects. Like if it was something that was outside of my specialty and I just did not feel comfortable or as comfortable doing it, or they needed more of a subject matter expert in a field that I was not that familiar with, I would always just bring in additional help for that project on like a contractual basis. But yeah, no, it, it works really well. So right now it's just contracting on a case-by-case basis. But for the most part, I knock them out myself and then refer out if, you know, I just don't have the contractor available. Okay. Okay. So how do you know? I mean, what's going to be your signal that it is time to, to add people? 
Ooh, good question. (laughs) I think for me, that signal is I am getting a lot of work and it is so much that I'm just like, I want to refer out Mm -hmm. and it's something that I don't want to refer out. Like I want to make sure like majority of the referrals and by majority, I mean, 99.9% of them Mm -hmm. because there's always going to be something, Mm -hmm. but when I'm referring out, I'm always referring to people who I feel are competent and capable and have the bandwidth Mm -hmm. to do it Mm -hmm. and to get the job done. But if, but then there are just those projects that just speak to your heart and you're like, Oh my goodness. I don't want anyone else to do this. I want to see how this ends myself. And when it's those kind of cases, then, and I'm finding that my contractors, I'm bringing them on for projects. And then as soon as I'm done with another project, I'm like, Hey, do you want another one? You know? And I'm noticing that that strand that like it continues and continues and continues. That's when I'll, we'll start entertaining the notion of like, okay, maybe we should talk about bringing you on payroll, you know, and seeing how that works. So I think it's definitely just having that continuous line of projects and seeing that this is just a continuing revolving door because when COVID even took place, Mm -hmm. there was a slight lull, but then there was this moment when everyone was like, okay, I'm ready to start my business, but there's some problems I just can't solve, you Mm -hmm. know? And it just was boom. It was a business boom for us. So so I know, I believe earlier on, you know, we talked about, you know, things that you would do differently, but as you do your project plan, right, are there things that you've come across that you thought you would be, oh, I'm ready to do this now. And then when you got to that, you know, crossroad, you decided, um, no, it's going to take a little bit more time. I think I have those kind of moments on a lot of different projects. You know, okay. when you start one and you start your planning process and you're thinking, okay, this is how it's going to go. But then something happens. There's some new development or whatnot. And I'm grateful that I'm trained in both agile and also waterfall. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it happens. I just try to make sure I keep communication lines open mm-hmm. and I keep my customers well-informed of what's going on, what my plans are. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, they want to change and pivot. And I'm okay with that. We make sure we track a change log and you know we're going through it. Yes, that scope management, scope management and scope creep will kill a project, won't it? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think one of the it was something that we just had an issue with this week in office. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, my goodness. But I mean, if anything, you just kind of have to make sure when you start a project, you know what your scope is. And anytime you feel like, okay, this is, this project is draining and it's just dragging on. Mm-hmm. I kind of use that as my like internal barometer to like, wait a minute, what's the scope of this project again? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what were we supposed to do? What did we set out to say we were going to do? Right. Right. And nine times out of 10, if I'm feeling like, oh, this project is just dragging, you know, like you feel that in your you gut, it. like it's, yeah. you know it. And then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I feeling this way? Okay. If I'm feeling this way, let me go check and see what the scope is supposed to be and see which one of my contributors or who's, where is, what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, right. to say, all right, wait a minute, we got some scope creep going on. Mm-hmm. So then you feel, you send out that nice little email saying, Hey, I know you brought up X, Y, and Z, but this project is more supposed to be about A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. So X, Y, and Z, we can deal with after we finish A, B, and C, like finish A, B, C, close the project. And then X, Y, Z, if that needs to be another project, then so be it. But right now this project so feedback, everything that you're saying, 
you know, that whole monitor and control phase. Oh yeah. Risk. Yep. Managing the risk. Yeah. Yes. A, B, C only. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You have to be disciplined. Right. And then that's when the business hat comes on as well. Right. From a communication perspective. Yes. Because you want to make sure that they're heard, you know, because they like, I think that's what any team member wants to feel. They want to feel like they're heard. They want to feel like their contributions matter and are appreciated. And yes, all feedback is definitely appreciated and is taken into consideration. So, I mean, like, if anything, just make sure you have that parking lot visible, you know, as far as when your X, Y, and Zs pop up, because they will pop up. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just put them in that parking lot. So then when you're closing out your project, you're looking at that parking lot and you're like, okay, here are some things that came up, you know, do we want to make a project out of this? And you can go to your sponsors and let them know as you're closing out the project. These were some things we put in the parking lot, you know, like, do you want to do another project? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like right. 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 Okay. So I guess finally I say, you know, where do you see yourself in your business in 15 years, wow. 15, 20 years? Great question. I <laughs> don't know. I, I'm not going to say I know, like I can visualize something, but I don't, I always have, I always struggle with questions like this because I can think, okay, right now, this is where I would want it to be. I would want it to expand. I would want to bring on other contractors. You know, I would want to rent out like a certain like space and have like a boardroom, you know, where we have our clients meet on site and all kinds of things like that. Like I can picture it, but then at the same time, I'm like, is that really it? Do you want that? Right. I don't know because Mm -hmm. I like the idea of it, but then I like the idea of right now I'm very portable. Like right now we rent office space Mm -hmm. and we rent through an organization here in San Diego that has offices. Like one office is further South in the city and one is in the North County. Mm -hmm. So wherever my clients are, I physically can go to them Okay, and just meet at that space. So it's very convenient for my clients, but then it's also very convenient for me. Mm -hmm. So then I'm not, you know, like, yes, I'm driving all over, but then my clients don't feel like, oh, I have to haul all the way over to that side of town to go see this one. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more flexible in that sense. Like Synergy is absolutely amazing for like our business setup. Okay. Um, So you're traveling lightly right now, technically speaking. Very lightly. (laughs) Very lean. Very lean. Very lean. Because it's me and my laptop. That's really all I need. Everything is on what I need is on that laptop. That's it. Okay, great. great, Like all my software, everything just travels. And then if I need to, I can do some printing from the laptop. That's it. Good. All my contracts and everything virtually signed. I, I can't, I really can't like, you know, I having a physical, like, okay space to me, is just like, I feel it's more confining. So I don't know. I think it works for other people, but for me and where I'm at and what I'm doing, it does not work for me. Okay. Okay. So more to come on the end of this story. (laughs) Yes, most definitely. (laughs) Great. Great. I wish you the very best. So tell me and remind me and everyone else, um, however we reach out to you. Thank you so much for this time. It was great speaking with you. So if you're interested in learning more about my business, that'd be HoustonConsultingSolutions.com. We're also on Twitter, on Instagram, also on LinkedIn as well. Um, Feel free to reach out.
Okay. So Nina, on behalf of SWE's African-American Affinity Group, I would like to thank you again for taking the time to share your professional journey and what your decision-making process was like for you as you transitioned. And of course, throughout the different inflection points you had from you know, education into your um, career. Again, this is Joanne Hill, and I want to thank everyone who is listening to this podcast today. The African-American Affinity Group has additional programming, including podcasts and written blog posts, which will be released to celebrate Black History Month. We will also remain engaged throughout the entire year to support and enlighten our members. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to leave us a review and share this episode with your social network. Thanks for listening.